I'm going to challenge you guys today because I was challenged. I probably will offend you a little bit because I was offended. And I hope to encourage you when we're all done. We're going to talk about something really important, really frustrating to me. I hope it frustrates you because it affected me for a very long time. There's a severe lack of proper parenting in our culture. Have you ever noticed that? Parents typically stink. And their kids really stink because parents stink. These kids aren't being properly cared for, loved, and disciplined, and they grow up into irresponsible, immature adults who can't parent their kids either, can they? Now, you all think I'm talking about the world, but I'm talking about in the household of God. And I'm not talking about the, the physical kids that God entrusts to us. I'm talking about the concept of spiritual parents, or to use Paul's word here, spiritual fathers. There is a lack of spiritual fathers in the American church that is appalling, pathetic, concerning, and dangerous. I struggled with this for a long time. As a new believer, I, I begged, I prayed to God. I said, God, would you raise up someone to, I would use the term coming out of the business world, to, to mentor me, right? To be a spiritual father to me, to show me what it's like, how to go from a little baby Christian to a full-grown Christian man. And do you know what I never found for a very long time? Anyone to do that. So for many years, I walked around trying to find people to help me mature. Lauren, I had kids. You know, it's great to have when you have young kids, someone to walk alongside and say, what do you do with these things? How, how do you train them up in the way they should go? How do you interact with, with them in these situations? How do you transition as they get older? Someone to be a spiritual father, right? And do you know what I struggled to find? As a pastor, you guys, some of you have been here a long time. You know, I, I'm like saying, God, would you bring up a, a wise, mature man who's done this for many years to say to me, hey, John, you know, he, here's what I've learned over the years. Let me, let me teach you. Let me be a spiritual father to you. And do you know how hard this is? Do you know how much legwork I've had to put in in each of those areas to find someone? And do you know why that is? Can you identify, you don't have to answer this, a particular person that God used to bring you to faith who then walked alongside you and discipled you as you matured? Probably not. Most of us now come to faith through podcasts, books, television shows, or, or a sermon in a large church where you don't actually interact with a person to be a father. Watch what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians uh, 4, the last half of 1 Corinthians 4. And let's see... What a spiritual father is, who's a spiritual father, and, and what's that supposed to look like in our lives? 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, God says through Paul, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. What things? For almost four chapters, Paul has been beating these people over the head. You, you rotten, sinful, wicked, divisive man-worshiping, idolatrous fools, right? Isn't that what we've been looking at for all He says, this is why I'm writing this. He's getting passionate. He's getting angry with them. He says, this is why I've written it to you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church, in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I'll come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but of their power, 
For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Check this out, guys. Paul is, is mad. Why is he mad? These are his kids. These are his spiritual children. And he cares about his spiritual children. Why? He wants them to walk in, in fullness of the fullness of joy that God intends to bring glory to God and to be used by God for his will. Right? So he gets passionate. He cares about these people. He's not an indifferent preacher. You know, I don't know you. You don't know me. But listen to what I have to say. I used to be at a church and <laughs> I got in trouble the first time I preached there. I was, I'll show you what happened. I was up here, not in this church. And the place was packed, and there were all these lights, and they're like red and yellow and green and blue, and they're blaring in my face. And I got up there, and I said, I can hardly see you all out there. Do you know what? Too often that's the case. Paul didn't preach under the glare of lights. He preached face-to-face to people where he could see them, where he could know them, where he could live relationally with them. Too often, it's someone up behind the lights that never knows us and we don't know. So they don't care so much, because they don't know us, and we don't know them. Paul says, oh, I care. He has used these illustrations about himself and us as farmers, builders, rowers, servers or stewards, and, and now parents. And look at, look at what he says here. This, you have to slow down in the text to see it, but, but watch this. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. What's a guide? A guide is like a, uh, the Greek word means moral teacher, right? It, it's, it's someone that you can find in a bookstore, on a podcast, in a, in a church setting where you're unknown. It's someone that can teach you biblical truth, and that's not a bad thing, but they're just teaching you biblical truth. They're not living alongside you. Paul says that he is a, a father to them. We, we can go cross-gender and a parent, right? Paul is a father, not a moral instructor. There's benefit to, to having these countless guides or moral instructors, but they're not fathers. Imagine trying to raise a kid by just sticking them in front of books and moral guides. You know, hey, here's a podcast, kid. Why don't you listen to this on raising godly children and, and, and do what it says. You'll be all right. You know, you know those parenting books you all get? You ever hand them to the kids? Say, hey, just read this. Try this stuff. You know what you'll get out of that? Nothing. And too often that's what happens to us as believers is we have countless guides but they don't do us any good because we're made to have more than countless guides. We need spiritual fathers who will admonish us. We'll get to that in a minute and love us. But Paul says that he is their spiritual father. So we're going to start with the birds and the bees talk. You know this one you're supposed to have with your kids somewhere along the lines? Mine, I think my dad had with me in under five seconds. Don't be an idiot. Okay, Dad, Dad I learned this stuff in sixth grade. I'm 18 now. <laughs> well, the goal is before then, and really wonderful, comfortable conversation to have with your kids. But you have to have a conversation that usually progresses over time of how little boys grow into full-grown men and have their own little boys or little girls and how to grow them, right? Yeah, and it's kind of like awful conversation. Oof, but it's not that bad when you do it. Well, we're going to have the birds and the bees conversation in the spiritual sense because no one ever seems to have it with us. Do you want to know how, how big, mature Christians get baby Christians? Do you want to know how this works? Ready? Go, ew. This is how you do it. Paul says right here, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus. How? Through the gospel. Do you know how little baby Christians are born? 
Ew, through the gospel? Gross. Yeah. We become spiritual fathers or mothers by the gospel. Right? What's the Great Commission? The end of, end of Matthew. Jesus, here, let's go there. Go to Matthew 28. You can try to wiggle your way out of this text. I watch people do it all the time. It just doesn't, doesn't hunt. 28.16 in Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and set up moon bounces and outreach events. Go, therefore, and pray. No? What does it say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Who does this apply to? Mm. Me too? You guys? Go and do what? Make converts. Invite people to church? No? Make disciples. Teaching them, right? Instructing them. Do you know what that's saying? Go make baby Christians and then be their spiritual fathers or mothers. Do you see that? Now, the reality is almost every Christian I know struggles to serve as a spiritual father. Do you know why? We're not fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, am I saying that if you go out and start sharing the gospel, you're going you're gonna to absolutely necessarily see people come to saving faith? No, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it's not going to happen if you don't share the gospel. Do you see that? If we, we can't, guys, I can give you a great list of excuses to not share the gospel. I, I could probably do a full book of rationalized reasons to keep your mouth shut and not share the gospel. Okay? I, I've used them all. And I see if I had... If I had a spiritual father, it would have been nice because he could have taken my hand and said, come on, little Johnny, let's go out. I want to teach you about this thing God commands. It's called evangelism, called sharing the gospel. And I'm going to show you, little Johnny, how to do this. Say, come on out with me and watch. And I get to watch my spiritual father have conversations with people. We get to talk about it after. And he would say, well, why don't you try it now? And, and he could say, you good job. I'm proud of you, son. That was a good job. And, and here's you know, how you could do it differently. And you don't ever want to threaten to hit somebody when you share the gospel. That's not really good. And you're not, you see what I'm saying here? I never had anyone say to me, hey, little Johnny, let me show you how. So through fits and spurts and begging people and, and grabbing onto people and following people and reading book after book after book and messing up along the way, in fits and spurts, I kind of learned, okay, how you do this? And it's really hard. And it seems really scary. But it's amazing because sometimes you see people's eyes be open to the truth. And you know what you do when you see someone's eyes get open to the truth? You stay right there with them. You stay right there because God just made you a daddy or a mommy. You don't abandon your kid. You say, come on. You know, these, are, these are little spit-up Christians at first. We've been reading about these. You know, the milk ones. You, know? you pick them up. <laughs> they just spit and sin all over you. And you, you love them because you used to be just like them. And now they're saved by grace through faith. So you help them. You know, while their teeth come in. And then you start helping them feed meat. And you get them around some other Christians. And we all work together to love them and mature them. And you know what we do? We raise them up and say, now get out there, champ. You can do this. Go out there and find yourself. You're a, grown, you're a grown kid now. Let me tell you about the birds and the bees, how this works. Go out there and make some babies. Do you see that? We are all commanded to make Christian babies. The problem is we have lots of excuses. Now watch. Well, we're going to get to this in a little bit. Matthew 9. If your finger's still in Matthew, mine isn't. 
Go to Matthew chapter 9. Check this out. A little side note. Jesus, one of these things he tells us to pray for. Matthew 9, 37. He says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to save people, does it say? To send out laborers into his harvest. Notice what's going on here. Our job is to go out, is to, we come to faith, we mature in our faith, and we go make babies through the gospel. And then we mature those babies and help them know how to make babies through the gospel. Do you see that? Now sometimes you'll run across an abandoned kid out there, an abandoned Christian kid. I used to be one. I was a street child of Christianity. I'm walking around like, somebody be my daddy, right? Somebody, you know what I need? I need someone to say, come on, son, come and live with me. Let me walk alongside you. Let me invest in you. And, and we need to look for those. They're all over the place. But folks, understand the first thing is you and I are all commanded to be spiritual fathers or mothers to others. Now, I get the good excuse. Well, I got three little ones in the house. Yeah, I'm a spiritual father to those cats, right? I got these folks at church too. Whoa, whoa. Yeah? So, you know, just so you don't get uncomfortable, uh, behind my couch, have you ever noticed there are pictures of all our kids when they were babies and sometimes we'll, when we get all the dust off them, we're like, oh, look how cute they were. Well, we have pictures of all of you guys in the basement. I'm kidding. I don't, I don't oogle and ogle over all of you, but understand this. As your pastor, I consider myself what God calls me to be, your spiritual father. Does that mean I'm so much smarter than... No. A lot of you guys probably have a lot more head knowledge than I do. For some reason, God's entrusted me to this position, and he's entrusted all of us to it. But, but one of the things I wish that I could communicate to everyone, and I'll do it today, those of you here, as your pastors, I got your back. Okay? One of the things I committed to you guys when we started this church is I'm not going to leave to go somewhere else unless God makes it abundantly clear. You know why? You're my kids. My goal is to watch you grow from infancy to maturity. Our relationship changes along the way, right? And then we co-labor together out in this world to save the lost. But if I really love you guys, I can't abandon you guys. Oh, there are times as a parent when you're just like, oh, good Lord, I wish I could leave these kids. Right? I'm talking about the little ones, not you guys ever. But the same goes for us. As God uses us to open the eyes of others and make some baby Christians, or we find some other Christian, don't you dare leave them. Don't you dare let them fester out in the world. It'll chew. The evil one will chew them up and spit them out. They can't lose their faith. But they need daddies and mommies. And we're all commanded there to be spiritual fathers. A spiritual father begets. A spiritual father becomes a father or a mother through the gospel. Right? What's a spiritual father do? Once, once you get there, you've got to know what to do with it. We'll go back to verse 14. It says here, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my what? Beloved children. You know what you got to do for your kids? You got to love them. What's it mean to love your kids? Oh, I love you. I love you so much. <laughs> there are cultures in this world where, where parents, especially in some Arabic nations, do you know this? Some parents never tell their kids, I love you. And my dad grew up never hearing from his dad, I love you. He was in Arabic. The reason they don't say it, though, is because it's not something you say. It's something you do. Do you see that? I see too many parents tell their kids, I love you. Here's some money. Go buy yourself some pot and alcohol. You don't love that kid. Or, 
I love you. You don't know the Lord and you're leading them away from the Lord not even knowing what you're doing. You're not loving your kid. Guys, as spiritual fathers, we are called to love our children. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. How did he love us? He laid down his life for his sheep, right? He put the interest of others ahead of his own. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. You don't have to die on a cross. You do have to die on the cross with Jesus when you come to faith. But you don't die on a cross for someone. But you lay down your life for theirs. You consider their interests more important than your own. You do everything you can to help them know God better for who he is, who they are, and how God calls them to walk. Do you see that? You've got to love your kids. Paul loved these cats. Gets mad. You know, when your kids aren't doing what they should be doing, if you're indifferent, that's a sign you don't care. You know, a kid comes home, oh, man, I got drunk on the way home and got a DUI. Oh, man, that's so funny, dude. <laughs> you know, kind of parent would say that. My kid comes home drunk with a DUI. I would have beat the living tar out of him. I won't do that. But, but we're going to put some hedges around this, bo- this boy here. You know, he might not drive until he's 35 and he recovers from his bodily injuries I inflicted upon him. But if you love, that goes to the next point. Part of loving is admonishing. Paul says right here, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. There's an element of shame there, right? He says the point of this isn't to try to shame you. Now, now my, my gift, pre-Christian gift, the fruit of the flesh, is, is I can really shame people good. We used to play a game called dozens on the bus going to school. And we would sit there and we would just make fun of each other. I mean, I was good. I, I had a little friend named David who I don't think he ever grew over about four foot six and used to bring catalogs for the kids store. You know, hey, Dave, you need some clothes for the school year, buddy? We used to have a friend named Russell who was acne prone. I, mean, I should have gone to hell. You know, Russell, oh man, the moon's in your eye. And we would, we would just, and we'd go back and forth and we try to make each other get angry and throw a punch at somebody. We like to shame each other. Kids are sick, right? This is not what Paul's talking about. You don't say to your spiritual child, oh man, you are ugly and stupid. How could you do such a stupid thing? You know how they can do a stupid thing. They're recovering sin at it. But at times you have to point out, you did something stupid. But I'm not saying this to shame you. But I'm, sh- I'm saying this because I love you. Parents must admonish their kids. You want to know a good, interestingly, the Bible doesn't have many examples of how to be a good parent. Have you ever noticed that? You ever try to read it as a parenting book? You're up a crick. There, who's the best parent in the Bible? Right? Now you've got to think. Any bad parents in the Bible? Oh, yeah. One bad one? Eli, 1 Samuel, verse, uh, chapter 3. Eli was a priest who had some sitting issues. You remember that? It's a joke. He died. He fell off of the seat. He was a fat man. He found out his sons died. The Ark of the Covenant was taken. He fell back. He died. Ha, 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 ha. All right, left. 1 Corinthians, or 1 Samuel 3, uh, I think it's 13. The reason that he was a bad parent is because he simply didn't admonish his kids. You see that? He let his kids run wild, and he never said to them, y'all got to quit messing with your priestly duties, boys. Probably started way back when, when, when daddy says, don't, don't. And if you want to, it'll hurt. You see what I'm saying there? So now watch this. As spiritual fathers and mothers, we need to love our children. And part of loving them is admonishing them. And if you have physical, earthly, human kids, you ever hear this? I wish you were not my dad. I wish I had a whole different family. I hate you. You ever get that one? I never have. Why do you guys get that? (laughs) Oh, I've gotten, gotten it many times. Now imagine this. Imagine if there were other parents out there who then said to your kids, oh, hey, why don't you come live with me? 
I'll give you candy. You can do whatever you want. I'll buy you a new car. Come and stay at our house. I'll be your dad. Imagine if your kids could leave. You want to know what it's like being a pastor? You try, you try loving somebody and admonishing them, and you know what they get? They don't say, I hate you. They say bye, usually via email. And you know where they go? To find another church family that says, oh, come on here. We won't, we won't poke too deeply. Now, I hope you all realize, I don't poke too much, do I? You know, I, I, tend, to, I tend to let sleeping dogs lay, but there are times where if I see something, if I really love you, I got to say something, right? And I might offend you a little bit, right? I try not to. I try to be wise with it. I'm not, you know, I'm not coming with some sort of like some evil domineering parent. I run your life. Do what I say. I'm just, I'm just an underrower. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. I'm not sharing my opinion. I'm not going to give you parenting advice. But if you're having your kids do crazy stuff, I might say, you know, let's talk about this. What's the motive behind this? But what I find is a lot of people don't want to hear it. They just want to do what they want to do, right? If I love you, I got to confront that. If you love me, you best confront it too and confront it with one another because if you love your kids, you have to discipline their kids. Church discipline. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? Wait, wait until next week. You want to know, you want to see some really good church discipline. Come back next week. Watch, watch what happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It gets bad in a hurry. But understand, there's a role as a parent and you need to, I want you guys to understand this as your pastor. I hate, I hate disciplining my kids, you know. I don't like getting angry at my kids. I hate it. Sometimes, though, you know, I remember all of them, for some reason, somewhere between age three and four, they get all, like, physically aggressive with their mom, right? I'm not listening to you. And occasionally they'll throw a little hair, a little, these little tiny grubby paws that, like, smack at their mom. You know, part of me is like, hoo, hoo, hoo. The other part is like, no, that ain't flying in this house, boy. And I have to discipline this child. I don't beat the child. I sternly tell the child, you do not ever swing your hand at your mother. That's not going to hunt in this house, right? And we lay down the law. I'm trying to help them so they don't grow up into crazy kids. It's my responsibility. You guys got to understand, there are very few people in this world who got your back. I got your back. Perfectly? Heck no. But I got your back. I hope you got my back. But my goal is I got your back to help you grow into full spiritual maturity. Now, how do I do that? This is a bad part here. Watch this. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be what? Ooh. Do what I say, not what I do. That's my favorite parenting mantra. Right? Don't, don't, don't look at what I'm doing. Just do what I'm saying. You know, I know I'm telling you, you shouldn't cuss and scream, but you know, I know I'm doing it all the time, but don't do what I do, do what I say. Doesn't work. If I tell my kids, don't cuss and scream, guess what I best not be doing? Right? If I tell my kids they, they should be treating their mother with respect, guess what I should be doing? If I tell you all that we need to be spiritual fathers to others, you need a spiritual father to look at and say, how do you do this? If I say to you, we need to go out and make disciples, guess what someone has to show you how to do? Make disciples. i got to live it so that you can see it, and then i got to do it in front of you, and it makes it really hard to fake it the better that you know me, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You ever look at the qualifications for elders, pastors in here? Do you know what it's saying there? It's saying that you need to live it such that you can't fake it because people see how you're doing it. 
Now, I can tell you this. Stop by my house on a Wednesday randomly at about 9 in the morning, and you may see sin flaring fully, right? It doesn't mean that I'm perfect, far from it, but I'm being perfected, right? And that I'm not walking in the same sin, and I'm meeting the biblical qualifications, but you've got to understand the parent's role is to model it. So, guys, when we're sharing the gospel with others, do you know what we need to be doing? Walking like we believe it's true. Do you see that? What we tell people to place their trust in Christ, do you know what we need to be doing? Showing them that our trust is in Christ, right? The world looks at us, and too often, right, we, I, I see this all the time, and I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, it's easy, this is much easier for me than you, because I can't skip church on Sunday, you know, real easily. So like, oh, Lauren, I got invited to go on a private jet to Disney, so we're not coming this Sunday. It just, can you imagine if I, I call everyone Sunday, Saturday night? Guys, we got invited to go on a private jet to Disney. We're canceling church tomorrow. Have a good week. See you next time. It just sounds bad. Now, if you all get that invite, you got an easier out, don't you? Right? Because this can happen more easily. Well, hang in there a minute. Because the people that may invite us to go to Disney, if they don't know Christ, which carries more clout? Heck yeah! Or, oh my goodness, I would so love to go, but Sunday is Lord's Day. I, I gather with my church family on Sunday to praise God, to hear his word preached. Uh, I can't. I can go the next day, or I can go in the afternoon, but, but I, I, I got to gather with my church family. You know what they say when you say that? What the heck is wrong with you? But you know what you're doing? Do you see that? Do you see that craziness? So we wonder sometimes why, why it's so hard when we walk in greater fullness. That doesn't mean there aren't reasons to miss church, and you can't sometimes go somewhere. Now listen, if you get invited to Disney on a private jet, Go and invite me the next time, but go Sunday afternoon. Would you do that? But do you see what I'm saying as far as a witness to the lost, right? We need to be the example. Now, let me point this out here, and then we'll, we'll start to wrap it up. One of the reasons that I refuse to ever allow us to be an attractional church, what do I mean by that? A church where we just simply bring people in and pack the place out. You want to know what it is? I can't love 500 people. I can't. Cannot do it. I can love a few and be a father to a few, and those few can be a father to others. And if you guys are fathers to others and you bring them in, and they mature, (laughs) and they become fathers to others and bring them in, and they mature, pack the place out, we'll put an addition on, I don't care what you know, we'll put an amphitheater outside, whatever it takes, we'll line the walls. But every single person who is here will be loved and cared for and have a spiritual father. Do you know what happened to me? Came to faith. I joined a church and the church had about 3,000 people and they met over five services all at one time on a Sunday morning. Nobody knew anybody. Nobody had a spiritual father. They showed up and they got teaching. They had a guide. But no one could walk alongside them and be invested in their lives, loving them to equip them to mature and go out. Do you know what's happened in this American church of ours? We got a whole lot, a whole lot of people who are struggling. They don't want to be stuck in immaturity, but they're struggling to get out of immaturity because they don't have anyone to walk alongside them and help them go. So here's the goal, guys, is I walk alongside you, albeit hideously and perfectly at times. I live as an example before you. I say, follow my example. I love you. I encourage you. I admonish you. I restore you. All the stuff that we as spiritual fathers are called to. Why? So that you can do the same for others. So what's our job? To go out and proclaim the gospel. When? In season and out, right? In all opportunities, to walk in obedience, putting, putting our agenda aside. 
Yeah, you'll see this in a midweek thought in two weeks. I'll let it flow out of my mouth, but you'll forget in two weeks and read it again, right? So many people claim to be Christians, some of whom may be. And they, they, they go to church. They're in lots of programs. They have Bibles in their houses. They pray and they do all this stuff. They believe Jesus died on the cross for them. But one day, I wonder how many of these people will meet Jesus. And he'll say, away from me, I never knew you. And they'll say, what do you mean? He'll say, well, yes, you're right. I died on the cross for you but you never died on the cross alongside me. Do you see that? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified in the flesh, Paul says. Do you see that? Guys, our job as we mature in our faith is to die to self, live for Christ, live for his glory and obedience to him. And one of the primary reasons we're here is to go out and make little baby Christians and to walk alongside them and let them mature and then tell them to go out and make little baby Christians. And before you know it, before too long, how did this whole thing start way back in the book of Acts? Jesus had 17,000 disciples that were very close to him. Right? He had a few messed up guys. Right? But, but he walked alongside them. He, he shared truth with them. He lived as an example before them. No? And then he said to them, go out in his authority. When I spoke to this lady at the pool... Do you know whose authority I was speaking to, her through? It's not me saying, well, well ma'am, let me share with you my, my opinion on this matter. You know, well, well you're pro-choice. Well, let me tell you, I'm pro-life. That's my opinion. No, it's biblical truth, you know? It's a, it, we're going to go to the root, though. I don't want to talk about issues. I want to talk about foundational truth with you to start with. You see, what we go out in the authority of Christ to speak the word of Christ in this world he created so that the lost may be saved. And then we walk alongside them and mature them. And when we do, we care about people. Do you see that? We're, we're to care about these folks whose, God, who, whose eyes God opens to the truth. So, wrapping it up here. This is so cool, this last part. Verse 17. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Timothy. You know who Timothy was? A little baby Christian Paul was the daddy of. Long time ago, little baby Timothy's eyes were open to the truth. And, bah, 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 and Paul carried him and you know, patted him and he matured him and he fed him solid food. And little by little, over time, little baby Timothy grew up. And when people looked at little baby Timothy, you know what they said? You're the spitting image of your daddy. Do you see that? You're the spitting image of your daddy. When you walk in here, it's just like I'm talking to your dad. You, you guys are you're identical. Do you see what's happened here? Paul says, listen, I don't even need to come to you right now because I'm going to send my son, my beloved son, Timothy. And when my son shows up, who I've raised just like I'm telling you to raise your kids, he's speaking just like I'm there. Same truth, right? Same God, same foundation, same message. He's just like me. So take what he says just as if it came from me. He's a spitting image of his daddy. And his daddy is a spitting image of his Lord. Do you see that? That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you what of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Now, verse 18 to 21, he's wrapping up and turning into five. So kind of let that sit into the, in the no man's land until we transition into it next week. But that's the goal, guys. That's the goal. Our goal is to go out. We start with the birds and the bees talks. You know, when you all grow up, speaking to myself here, God made you to grow into men and women, to go have little babies. And how do you have little babies? Ew! By the gospel. Ew! Yeah, we proclaim the gospel. And we see people come to be born. 
Do you know, Ephesians talks about how we, we've come alive in Christ. What's one thing that's true of all living creatures? This is interesting. God created everything, created it the way he desired, perfectly at the beginning until we screwed it up. But what's one of the, the few things that all living things have in common? Thinking of that, why would he say we're alive in Christ? What's that? They have breath. But what do they all do? Well, now that's not how God made it, though. That's sin. They reproduce, right? He says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, pre-fall. All living things reproduce. Do you know what we are as live, breathing Christians? We're to go out and do what? Reproduce. Go be mommies and daddies and raise up mommies and daddies of your own. Now, here's what I want you to take from this. All of these truths but wrapped around this understanding of why did Paul care so much? Remember this, this road that went to Damascus, right? Remember good old Paul? You ever see a movie where they're showing a scene and there's like, whoop, everything backs up real quick? So I want you to picture Paul on the road to Damascus right before kabam, right? Ah, he's going to try to destroy the church and kill Christians and, and ruin this whole thing, right? And he's going back. And, and for years and years and years, all of a sudden, Paul's realized that he had a father who wanted him to be destroyed. He had a father who was trying to lead him into the eternal torments of hell. He had a father who wanted nothing good for him, and he was serving this father, right? He was confronted with the reality of who God was on the road to Damascus. Notice, on the road to Damascus, Paul doesn't go, Jesus! He hits the deck, right? When Peter has a fullness of realization of who Christ is, what does he say? Oh, Jesus, I love you. He says, away from me, I'm a sinful man. Isaiah, when he comes into the throne room of God, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. When people meet Christ, the initial reaction isn't awe. It's awe. Do you see that? Paul hits the deck and he knows that he should die because he believed a lie and he lived in open rebellion against God. And what does God do? He makes him a son. Do you see that? He restores him. He forgives him. He restores him. He makes him a son with a full inheritance. And Paul says, what? Why? I deserve death and I got grace. I deserve destruction and you show mercy, right? And Jesus says, you are now my friend. Now you get to be a, a, an under-rowing galley slave for me. You get to be my steward. You get to bring the message of salvation to the lost. Paul couldn't believe this. So he went out bringing this truth to a lost world. So when he sees these people, these Corinthians come to faith, they've gone from serving this wicked master who hated them and wanted to destroy them to a fullness of life potential in Christ. They've come alive in Christ. And he's not going to settle. He won't let these little kids wallow in misery. He wants fullness of life in Christ for them. And he wants everyone to know who can possibly know of what Christ has done. How are they going to know unless these little babies grow up and preach? Paul can't preach to everybody all around the world, can he? So he's passionate about this because he knows who he was, who he is, whose he is, and what he's commissioned to do. Do you see that? My hope, guys, is this. What is this, 2014? I think everybody here, God willing, should have a good decade or two run, right? Yeah? What would happen in, in 2020? Let's not even make it a decade. 2020, six years. If we went out right this very moment and began praying, Lord God, give me a spiritual child. Maybe you already got one right now. Maybe, maybe you're under parenting. Give me a spiritual child. Give me a few spiritual children. 
Give me the opportunity to preach the gospel and see people come to saving faith. Please open my eyes if there, if there are baby Christians out there with no, with no spiritual fathers that I might be a spiritual father to them. And we invest in them. Invite them to church, folks. But don't invite them to church so that I can be their daddy. I'll play the role of a pastor appropriately. Don't, don't misunderstand. But bring them here so you can begin to play that role in their lives, right? To walk alongside them, to mature them. You ever notice this too? Your kids typically never grow up to be much more than you are, right? You ever, you ever look at yourself and then you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, like, I'm just like my dad, right? For good or bad. You, you mature about to the level of your parents usually, and then God's grace comes in and plays. But, but part of my responsibility for you guys, right, is to be continually maturing in my faith because I have to ask myself, would I be pleased if the best you ever got was this? No. We can do better than this. We all mature together. But see where I'm going here? What might happen if we prayed, if we walked in obedience, if we walked according to God's will according, as opposed to our will? What might happen? Six years. Hmm? What might happen if, if each of us got used to, to be used to open the eyes of one person? Just one. They matured, and they did the same. They matured. You know what? The beauty is we get to find out. We get to find out as long as Jesus doesn't come back first or call us home. It might not even take six years. It might be six months. It might be 60 years. The, what we're after is not the result. Remember that? We're not after the result. We're after the faithfulness to walk in obedience in the moment. Next week, we're going to transition out of this section, which is Paul saying to them, guys, look, I've been beating you over the head for a little bit now. I've been telling you you're pretty screwed up, and you are. But you're, you're believers... You're in a right relationship with God. He loves you. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. But I love you so much because you're my kids, and I want what's best for my kids. That's what Paul's up to here. Next week, it gets kind of crazy up in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I've got to give you a warning. This church goes bonkers. But there's some really frightening direct application to all of our lives in the context we live in. But what I want you to get from this today is, we have an awesome, perfect, heavenly Father who will never leave us nor forsake us, right? And he calls us to mature in our faith and be fathers to others. So I ask you this. Who do you have in your life right now that you could be serving as a father to? Who do you have in your life right now that you need to share the gospel with? Who do you have that watches your life right now that you can walk in greater obedience to so that God might work through that for his glory and their eternal joy. Let's pray. Lord God, I just praise you for the fact that we are not right with you because of what we do. We don't have to live good enough to be considered your children because the reality is we are all miserable failures time and time again. But yet you delight in loving miserable failures who you made right. You delight in forgiving us. You delight in allowing us to walk alongside you. Lord Jesus, the reality is, as a spiritual father, we're not a true leader. We're just a follower, calling other people to follow our following. It's not us who's blazing the trail. We're just simply sheep walking behind you, the good shepherd. And I pray that little by little, more and more, we would come to see you for who you are. See that your burden is light and your yoke is easy. That what you call us for, call us to, is always for our good. That your law should be considered to us a joy 
and a delight for which it really, truly is. I pray, God, little by little, we would trust in you more fully. We would find our rest in you more fully. We would find our joy in you more fully. We would seek to obey you more fully because it is that which you are looking for from us, which brings you glory and honor. And I pray that as we do so, you would give us opportunity to share the gospel with others. I pray that as we do, we might see some to come to believe in you, a work that only you could do. But as we do, Holy Spirit, I pray you would equip, encourage, and guide us to raise up these children into mature faith in Christ so they might go out and do the same. Lord, help us never forget in the the fun of this world around us that the reality is there's an unseen world all about, that there's an evil one who's a prince of this world who seeks to destroy and kill. And I pray that we would walk in your power by your plan and proclaim your truth so that people might come to believe while there is still time. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come quickly, but not too quickly. I pray that we would make the best use of the time. I pray we would take every thought captive. I pray we would walk in greater obedience, understanding it's not because we have to, but because we can. And as we do, we find the joy and the delight in it. And Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you loved us, that you died for us, not because we had anything to offer you, but because you delighted in offering us all things which are made ours through Christ Jesus. And it's in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.